Welcome to Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints, where your viewpoint matters. Donnell discusses today's major issues and concerns with nationally recognized expert guests, as well as a variety of other interesting topics. So call and express your viewpoint about this week's topic or whatever else may be of concern to you. Just call Donnell at 563-999-3660 to share your viewpoint. Now, with this week's guest, here is your viewpoint host, Donnell Edwards. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints once again. We hope that you had a great day today and look forward to uh, making your evening even more enjoyable. Uh, before we get started, we do want to acknowledge the crisis going on in North Carolina and uh, we know that many of our fellow Americans there are really suffering, uh, especially uh, as a result of the uh, Hurricane Florence and the flooding that's occurring there. We get reports that the roads into Wilmington, North Carolina, have been cut off because of the floodwaters. There are reports that uh, there has been a run on gas in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Uh, there are also reports of price gouging, shortage of water, so it's really a, a very serious situation. And according to the weather forecast and reports from the governor, it's only going to get worse because uh, there's uh, more rain in the forecast and the flood waters are still rising. So please keep our neighbors there uh, in your prayers. We have a very, very great program for you this evening. As you know, uh, public education is one of the priorities here on our network, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, according to data from the National Center for Education, uh, NCES, uh, which is the primary federal entity for collecting and analyzing data related to education in the U.S. and other nations, uh, in their report, the Condition of Education 2018 during the period from 2014 to 2016, increases in enrollment in public schools and public charter schools uh, occurred. And also there was an increase in the number of public charter schools. During the period from 2013 to 2015, on the 12th grade level, there was a slight decrease in reading and math performance. And still at the 12th grade level from 2009 to 2015, there was a slight increase in science performance. So what does all of this data mean? Uh, are we making progress in providing the best school experience for all of our students? Uh, how does the performance of public schools compare with public charter schools? We're going to discuss this and much more on tonight's program, making our schools the best for all of our children. Are model schools the blueprint for solving the crisis in America's schools? Our special guest is the author of Look in the Mirror, and he is also an educator and is a partner of the firm with a highly successful school in Brooklyn, New York, that has adopted a rather unconventional approach to teaching students, Ember Charter School for Mindful Education, Innovation, and Transformation. Please join me in welcoming to the CWR Talk Network and Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, Mr. Duran Townsell. Welcome, Duran. 
Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, can you tell me what uh, your title, partner of the firm, what does that mean? So, as you uh, may or may not know, we were founded by a brother named Rafiq um and Damian Dunkley, who were the original founders um, or partners of the firm. Uh, Rafiq is a, a lawyer, practicing lawyer, who's full-time teacher and school leader, and they created this model um, that is in the likeness of a law firm to further reinforce that not only we're teacher-led, but we are uh, collaborators, and that as you increase in experience and skill level and expertise, you have more decision-making power over the firm um, itself. And it so, just so happens that this firm specializes in running a school that's based in human development. And so there's four partners right now. Um, I just moved from senior associate this uh, earlier this year to partnership, um, doing the, the work that I love. And so I'm just happy to be here and to talk more about this uh, this vital work. Okay, very good. So this school is actually the result of the involvement of, of business in the private sector. Yeah, uh, um, as far as when you're looking at, you know, when you look at education uh, and you look at traditional um, education, it comes out of a model that kind of supports um, industrial America when you have a one-size-fits-all approach, uh, assembly line, factory um, work. The education was there to model and kind of enhance that industry. Right now we're in a space where we can rethink education and use ideas from all other sectors and really ask how can we get uh, the best ideas, um, innovative ideas, collaborate, and um, continue to do that work that creates this this human being that we want to see in the future that's out here navigating the world we live in and creating change. So it's it's kind of with that history in mind that we step out and embark on this. Okay, very good. And uh, that is the message that I really want to convey in tonight's program. And if I get off course or there's something you need to interject anywhere, please feel free to do that because I have been a believer for a long time that the methods that are being used in the schools are outdated. They don't really engage students and maintain their interests, you know, today. And uh, for that reason, even though some schools do do real well, some students uh, have high performance and it's not an indictment against all of the schools, but uh, it traditionally uh, for, for most schools, the, the, the approach that they take uh, just doesn't work anymore. And, and I really am interested in hearing what you have to say. And we're going to get, uh, in further, as we go further along in the discussion, talk some more in depth about uh, what's going on at, at Ember Charter School. Now, the main focus of tonight's yeah. program uh, is to examine schools that are successful in producing high achievers mm-hmm. that have departed to some extent from the traditional norms for teaching, like you were talking about. Uh, I call them model schools because to me, oh. those schools are models for other schools. Uh, that should be doing something similar, uh, just whatever, you know, it may fit for that particular community or, or those students, but breaking away from the traditional norms and really focusing, being more student-centric uh, and doing right. what's going to help the students 
to learn and to be prepared to uh, compete in, in this, this world that we uh, find ourselves in today. Now, Ember's Charter uh, School for Mindful Education, Innovation, and Transformation is, is one of those schools. Uh, others include, uh, in, which is no longer in existence, but for a long time was probably a trailblazer in, in this, this, uh, this area, was Marva Collins School in Chicago, uh, Westside Preparatory School. We're going to talk some more about that. Uh, the Eagle Academy for Young Men in New York City and Newark, New Jersey. The Harlem Children's Zone in Harlem, New York. We're going to talk about that. And St. Benedict's Preparatory School in Newark, New Jersey. And I'm sure there are many more, but these are uh, some that I wanted to uh, highlight this evening. And the one thing that all of these schools have in common is their emphasis on putting the student first and ensuring that the student receives what he or she needs to be successful rather than adhering to some outdated system or methods. So, Deron, what makes your school different, and why have you been so successful? We kind of touched on that already, but to get into that a little more. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, we're probably our worst critic. We feel like we could do so much more, um, but uh, we are experiencing gains each year. Um, but I, I think um, what makes us different is, first, uh, we've come to terms with when it comes to serving our black and brown youth that uh, we need to really emphasize what it means to love yourself. And um, we started to look at what uh, what problems are in the community and how we can produce those problem solvers that will not only go out and achieve things for their family and their own well-being, but want to give, give back to the community and really do that work to push us forward so we can have thriving communities. So with the end goal in mind, we really focus on what it means to be culturally relevant. We have affirmations that say, I love my skin, I love my hair, I, I love my nose, I love my brain. Um, we have these things embedded. We say Habari Ghani in the morning, meaning what's the news, and Zordi is the reply. And we teach these small things, these little things that embrace the wide variety of our culture in the African diaspora. And we also teach this, uh, the indigenous uh, perspective to our, our students of uh, Latin descent. And we, we teach this history and we teach this culture um, in a way that embraces uh, our uniqueness, our rich and great history, and just that alone, in and of itself, starts to do something to a human being, especially in a world where we're marginalized and we're often stereotyped and the bars are usually low. So this is coming from a lens of love, love for self, love for who you are, uh, what you see in the mirror, and um, wanting to build upon that um, and really focus on the mind after that. So we really focus on thinking skills and questioning everything and really uh, pushing critical thinking in all that we do. And so I think that it's, 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 a, uh, it's not as expedient as test prep programs or things of that nature, but long-term you're creating a human being that will create change and do for self and want to actually not wait on things, but actually create them. So that's what makes Man, it that's, a little yeah. different. 
Man, that's that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Now uh, that that kind of brings to mind. Uh, I'm going to get off off the, the course here a little bit, but uh, I had a guest on last week, and he uh, won a lot of money in, in the lottery. But he uh, was was uh, he's got a background where he traveled a lot. Anyway, he was talking about an experience he had when he was traveling abroad, and and how people in some places, uh, you know, have a lot more respect for people of color and he mentioned one instance when these these kids came up to him and wanted to touch his skin and what he's doing in in the area where he lives right now he's taking a lot of his lottery money and restoring some historical uh black areas that have uh, been run down and one of the things Mm -hmm. he said is that the feeling that he got from having people to appreciate who he was and his color he wanted the kids in his community to feel that same value for who they were mm-hmm. as people of color, and they didn't get that. So uh, it's, it's great that you're, you're doing that in your school, and that, that is something uh, something that's needed. And sometimes something that we we uh, we may overlook and don't consider how important something like that would be in the learning process. Now, one of the more controversial issues in regard to public schools during the past decade is the Common Core Standards Initiative. Now, the Common Core Standards were intended to define the the reading and math skills that students should be able to do at each grade level with heavy emphasis on standardized testing. And that's the part that I don't like. And I think you mentioned that a little bit uh, in in your comments. Now, uh, according to these standards by the 2014-2015 academic year, Every state was supposed to have been required to have in place common core aligned assessments to ensure that students were college and career ready. So in the fall of 2015, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, or NAEP, tested a representative sample of high school seniors in the 2016 graduating class. Now, after seven years of common core curriculum and assessment, which these these uh, uh, this this process was implemented back around 2009. So after seven years, the NAEP test showed the average performance of high school seniors dropped in math and failed to improve in reading from 2013 to 2015. Performance was also down on both tests from 1992. When you compare the the uh, test results from 2013 to 15 with 1992, the first year that similar tests were used. So, uh, Deron, uh, based on this data and your own experience, have common core standards and these this standardized testing uh, really helped students improve academically? Wow, that's um, you know, there's there's so many layers to that. I, so I first okay. I always, you know, I actually taught a lesson today, and I said we have to find the good in everything. You know, and we're talking about okay. the in our in our mindfulness practice. And uh, when I look at the spirit of Common Core, uh, which is to push rigor, to hold schools more accountable, um, as we look at how our performances stands across the world, that I feel the spirit of it is in the right place. But as you said, you said student performance. And see, what can happen is people get so caught up in 
try to perform on a test that they actually don't teach that reading is thinking and the depth of thought, being able to make um, inferences and critically think through text, close reading of text. This takes time, and sometimes uh, with the pressure of a test, you have to be, um, well, some people choose to be beholden upon that and kind of guide their curriculum and their form of education um, with that type of, um, I guess, focus. And in that, sometimes you find that children are, you're not really meeting the needs of the children. We're all different types of learners. We all learn at our own pace. And the thing that educators and school leaders need to figure out is that balance of accountability. Because we use Common Core in the sense of informing um, the standards that we produce through our rubrics and our program of inquiry and our planners that then inform our lessons. So we are we are uh, aligned with what the the state and the national norms. We embed that into our curriculum, um, and we pull from the international baccalaureate program, looking and exploring lessons through inquiry. That's a whole other uh, thing, but we don't let that guide us and determine um, our trajectory, and let that like an either or when it comes to meeting the needs of our children. And I think that's the real challenge, not that Common Core is bad or it's the implementation of the ideas with in, embedded in it. Um, how do you hold schools accountable but still meet the needs, push the rigor and the learning? Um, so that requires some forward thinking. And uh, maybe instead of speeding up, chasing after test results, maybe people need to slow down and really drill down into core principles. Okay, I, I agree with you on that, and 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 you know I I really agree with what you said about the spirit of Common Core, but the problem I have is the the emphasis on the standardized testing, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know uh, what I have seen and uh, teachers that I have talked to, and educators in, in the profession say that they have to teach to the Common Core standardized test uh, type of curriculum to get kids ready so that they can achieve high test results. And in the process, the real teaching gets lost. And and that's 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 a problem. That's a serious problem. And one of the reasons yeah. that I'm, I'm opposed to uh, Common Core in its uh, current uh, current form today. But uh, mm-hmm. thank you for your, your insight on that because uh, uh, there are some good points to it. I, I understand there's there's a, some need to make sure that we're measuring where students are so we can find out what help they need. But uh, to use that uh, to use it in the wrong way, uh, right? That's think, dangerous. That's, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's what the problem is. So I tell you what, mm-hmm. we're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to come back, and we'd like to let you in the audience that are listening. Uh, this is uh, some very serious information we're talking about this evening. If you have a comment or a question, we'd like to hear from you because your viewpoint matters. That number is 563-999-3660. That's 563-999-3660. When we return, we're going to discuss how to overcome the inequities in the distribution of school resources. So stay tuned. 
We'll be right back. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 41, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are the champion for life empowerment programs like Career Reels with Carolyn. We understand that many of our listeners need career advice to advance their careers to the next level, and others need advice on finding a job. We have been blessed with the addition of Ms. Carolyn Owens to our network. Carolyn is the chairwoman and CEO of Infinity Coaching Incorporated, which provides career, leadership, and life coaching that moves individuals forward, allowing them to take command of their lives. With over 25 years of proven experience, she is a leading authority on leadership and professional development and has worked with and trained top leaders across the globe. Her show, Career Reels with Carolyn, may be heard the second Monday of every month at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Career Reels is a show that discusses how you can become the star of your life. Carolyn and her guests will share with you tips and strategies on how you can reach and stay at the top of your game. You'll also hear about hot topics and trends that can make a difference in your career or business. So tune in the second Monday of each month to hear Career Reels live and get hired or take your career to the next level. For more information, visit Carolyn's page on our website at cwrtalknetwork.com. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Welcome back to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints with your host, Donnell Edwards, on the CWR Talk Network.
Thank you for joining us for tonight's edition of Daniel Edwards uh, Daniel Edwards Viewpoints. Uh, we are talking with author and educator uh, Mr. Duran Townsell, a partner of the firm with Ember Charter School for Mindful Education, Innovation, and Transformation in Brooklyn, New York. And another one of the major problems in making our schools the best for all our students is the inequities we see in resources between affluent schools and schools in poor and rural areas. Uh, this includes inequities in facilities, equipment, labs, technology, the number of teachers, counselors, and resource staff, and an array of other things. So uh, how can we change the current system so that all students have equal access to resources, and why should that be uh, uh, an achievable goal, Ron? Yes, that's um, that is a dilemma. I think I think it, we're dealing now in uh, policy and the national conversation within the country. I think it's um, the reason we are in the situation we are when it comes to inequity and inadequate resource allocation, I think it speaks to a broader issue on how we um, value or understand even this idea of equity. Somehow okay. I think, um, uh, broadly speaking, uh, as a country and society, I think sometimes we have this one-size-fits-all, this equal we get the same thing and not really understanding that equity means sometimes I have to give up more uh, to someone else who needs it just so they can have an equal or, or equal shot or a level playing field. And I think until we're able to really dig through and get to the root and heart of the matter of injustice and inequity uh, throughout different aspects of our country, I don't think that um, – I can see and understand why that's such a problem. I think until we address that and really uh, have a national discussion and policymakers start to make that a part of uh, top on their agenda, um, then it will be in the state that it is. That said, though, I still think there are creative ways that we can um, utilize what we are getting and empower our community from where we are right now and begin to create our own voice, use the resources that we have to uh, uh, fullest capacity and then spread the message, the word, so we can start to shape and turn the national conversation into a space that really speaks to the rights and um, the human rights of all of us, which means an equitable and um, thriving education, you know, so. Okay, very good. Now that that kind of uh, ties in or leads into uh, what we're going to discuss next, uh, especially the part about uh, dealing with what we have and making our own right. equity, right? Uh, and using the resources that we have to the fullest extent. So when we speak of resources, most people think of funding. They think about money. Now, interestingly, in an article in the uh, Network Journal from September 27th of 2010, former President Barack Obama acknowledged that many poor schools don't have the money they need. But Mr. Obama also said that money alone won't 
fix the problems in public schools. Saying I agree. higher higher standards must be set goes back to what you were talking about. Uh, it makes no difference where the equity is there if you you set the bar, uh, because there are some schools in areas where the resources are very limited that are doing outstanding work. Uh, he also said that uh, uh, setting higher standards uh, and uh, higher standards must be set and achieved by students and teachers. So uh, elaborating more on what you said and in view of Mr. Obama's comments, uh, have things changed since he made that statement back in 2010? Well, I think it all depends on uh, the program and the people um, behind that endeavor. I would say okay. nationally, um, nationally speaking, I think we are, as time shifts, you, we find you live long enough, you start to see that the same problems are just recycled, repackaged, as uh, outlined in the Black Klansman movie pretty um, pretty, pretty clearly in Spike yeah. Lee's film. But right, right. Going back to the yeah, but, but back to the education thing. I think the the greatest resource is the human resource. That's why our firm is dedicated to human the process of human development. And so we we purposely re- approach it that way because we know as adults and the children we serve, we are all on this journey and and are all uh, in need of development, further development. And, and it all begins to look at our thinking process. It all begins there. To really understand how the brain works and how to develop things that start to build uh, character and uh, work ethic and also um, some practical things that teach you about planning, prioritization, and things of that nature. So I think the more people, because you could, you could give um, a bunch of schools like $50 million. It doesn't mean that they have some nice gyms and nice classrooms, state-of-art technology, and all these things, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to filter in through what is actually being driven in classrooms, the culture of the space. That's why I think if there is an influx of money, and I think those programs that are seeing a degree of success, and for me success is just getting closer towards your goal and not a financial thing. I believe okay. it is those who, who actually really invest in the human resource to uh, expand the knowledge base, to train, to actually practice with the adults what they do with the children so it becomes a cultural phenomenon and not just a, uh, I'm the teacher, I'm the guru, I put into you, when education in true many is to draw out. And um, so that's why I think the greatest resource that we have is the human. I love that. greatest resource is the human resource. I love that. Okay, uh, uh, another factor in, in making our schools the best for all of our students is recognizing, understanding, and effectively responding to how our changing society has presented challenges for students and teachers. For example, uh, a lack of respect for authority, uh, elimination of corporal punishment in schools, restrictions on how students may be disciplined. Uh, the challenges faced by single parents and low-income families and the lost sense of community. So, Deron, what challenges does all of this present for school administrators, teachers, students, 
and parents and what adjustments does it require them? Yeah. It all goes back to mindsets and philosophy. If your value, if your main value is expediency and to get results for the sake of the results in and of itself, if it's not really to drive the learning and growth of a child, then you will make choices that are based on extrinsic um, enforcement or um, external control, excuse me, extrinsic rewards, things that are out, outward, that are expedient in nature. You have detention for four days straight. You have this. And, uh, but, and then you just let the, the child sit there in uh, despair, and there's no real learning going on. Every moment we teach in our um, program that from the hallway to the research yard, to the classroom, in any type of class, be it an elective, we call specials, or your core academic, the same learning is taking place. We are going to look at our thinking and our choice making. And so we're going to analyze and evaluate and question, what were you trying to communicate when you did thus and so? These things now make it not about the child and the behavior and just to punish, but now we're going to think through this. Now, this can look a little messy. The child could tantrum, could talk back. It requires that, that's why we say mindful education, that the practitioner as well as the student, we're all engaged in mindfulness. And so we take steps, take a deep breath, think before you speak. What are you trying to communicate and convey? Are you listening? Can we rephrase the question? This is out of love. I'm going to listen. Right now you have me feeling frustrated, so I'm going to pause. It's these type of conversations that they take more time, but they're essential if you really want to help the child grow and grow into social-emotional intelligence as well as academic-based intelligence. Um, And so I would say that it's the philosophy and mindset and values of those who lead and run schools to empower teachers first, and then as a result, the families and other stakeholders, we call them children, Um, with this idea of of mindfulness and really um, focusing on within instead of just external control. Okay, great. Now, we're going to talk at at length uh, about that uh, a little later. We have an example of a school that's really done some astounding things in in that area. But uh, there's an interesting observation related to this, uh, the student environment uh, on the Brookings Institute website, which states, and I'm quoting educational critic E.D. Hurst Jr. has pointed out the deep aversion to and contempt for factual knowledge that pervade the thinking of American educators means that students fail to build the intellectual capital that is the foundation of all further learning. That will be particularly true of those students who come to school most academically disadvantaged, those whose mm-hmm. homes are are not, in effect, an additional school. The deficiencies yeah. of American education hit hardest those most in need of education. So, Deron, uh, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hirsch's comments, particularly his assertion that those whose homes are not, in effect, an additional school being affected most I think um, that's true but 
I mean, if you just look at the state of our society and our communities, um, you could see evidence for that. But this is the work that we signed up for, that we're not going to have uh, that extra school a lot of times because a lot of our families are struggling and dealing with the trauma of poverty and uh, generational, right, generational problems that 150 years after Reconstruction that we're still going through. I'm like two or three grandmothers from the 1860s. I mean, it's not that far removed. So um, I would say, yes, his sentiments, his, 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 um, his evidence is, is accurate, uh, but I would be careful with kind of staying right there because it can make it seem as a um, kind of pointless, or not pointless, but uh, an endeavor that's so, um, so great that no one really wants to go and deal with what is. So we have to find ways to maybe increase the day, give the children more, uh, be creative with our homework, where they can actually be empowered with agency to teach themselves, especially in this age of technology, certain things to bring it back to class to further explore and then invite families in when they can because a lot of our families are working two jobs, three jobs, or um, a lot of our children come from broken homes and they suffer so much trauma. That's the data we're collecting now that no one really talks about the effects of trauma on our brain development. So until you actually do that research and study, I don't know how any educator in the inner city dealing with our children can go about this work without investigating trauma and its effects on our youth and our family and our community. Okay. Now, uh, I I think, well, let me ask you this. Over the last, say, years has the role of the school and the role of teachers changed particularly over the last 25 to 30 years so that it's not just a place where children go and and they're educated and, and they learn but more is required because of all of these external factors that affect the student's ability to learn or not to learn in the classroom? Yeah. Um, first, I feel teaching is an art form and is one of the greatest professions on the planet. Um, but it's when you have a certain mindset and approach, do you actually extract that type of meaning? I think the way it's packaged now and done, kind of like the teacher is just um, last on a totem pole, um, kind of like used up his fodder a little bit, um, do what the administrator says, um, kind of a, and I'm, I'm saying in generalities, this is not every program, but there's a feeling of a gotcha atmosphere sometimes. And so um, you feel like you're on an island. And I remember growing up in Philadelphia public schools that I remember uh, a few teachers here and there that made their classroom feel at home and really took their time with our learning. But a lot of the teachers seemed stressed, but in like toxic stress. They felt like uh, unsupported, usually by themselves, 30-something kids. And I think these dynamics um, kind of lead to the condition that we're in right now. That answers your question. 
Okay, it, it, it does. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to take another break right now. We're, we're going to come back, and when we do, we're going to uh, talk about some of these schools that are are our model schools and uh, some of the things that they're doing. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor Middle School? Would you like directions? No. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. Homewalk restaurant. Need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. Finding best potatoes for French fries. No! Russet. Fingerling. Yukon Gold. Oh, why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are the champion for important causes and issues like financial literacy. That is why so many people listen to the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show. Lionel is a seasoned veteran in the finance industry, but more importantly, Lionel cares about people. He shares his vast knowledge of the finance world in a personal way that goes beyond dollars and cents with advice that makes sense. So let Lionel help you get your finances in order or avoid costly errors in judgment that may be devastating to you and your family. Listen to the Lionel Shipman Check Your Finances show every Tuesday exclusively on the CWR Talk Network at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the WR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong.
Welcome back to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints with your host, Donnell Edwards, on the CWR Talk Network. Thanks again for taking part of your evening to be with us tonight. We really appreciate it very much and hope that you are enjoying our discussion, making our schools the best for all of our children, or model schools the blueprint for solving the crisis in America's schools. Now, as we mentioned at the outset of our discussion, there is a paradigm shift occurring in education being led by schools that have departed from the norms and are establishing new, more effective methods of engaging students effectively. We want to consider several of those, uh, those schools. The first of the is the Harlem Children's Zone, founded by former president and CEO Jeffrey Canada. Now, Mr. Canada recognized the need to go to the heart of the problem, which we've been talking about here, uh, to ensure that the home and community environment was conducive to learning and address such social needs as a broad range of support services for families, drug prevention, truancy prevention, programs for keeping schools safe, parenting workshops, and more. So, Duran, how much of a factor is not having a home environment that is safe and learning-friendly in affecting students' ability to learn, and who should be responsible for correcting the social issues related to improving education, which we've kind of discussed a little bit already. Well, that's a heavy one. <laughs> um, <laughs> who, who should be responsible? Any human being yes. that values, any human being that values liberty, life, love, well-being, you know, um, when you really boil, when it really boils down to it, I think um, the first part of your question asked about um, the actual home itself. Is that yes. what it's pertaining to? Right. Um, we, when you really look at the state of our homes, a lot of them, um, and you'll find that again we're faced with this idea of trauma. I can't really. Uh, speak enough about this, and we and in our school, we put this at the forefront of our teaching and in our social emotional program. That's why we have uh, the holistic um, part of our um, our name is that we teach to the whole child, and you cannot really teach a child arithmetic and these different content related uh, traditionally academic content related material without thinking about the needs of this child. Maybe they didn't eat last night. Maybe they saw their parents actually in a physical fight. Maybe their uncle just got shot the night before. Maybe there's drug addiction all through the house. Right? And so what are the effects on our children? To me, it shows how resilient and amazing they are. That they can still come into school, shake their hand, and smile, and suffer these, these various things, but it does have an, a, a real scientific impact on brain development. And I think if we're doing the work correctly and in a way that embraces the science and also involves bringing in the culture, the sense of mindfulness, you begin to see that the brain is plastic and you get to speak to and teach and rewire the mind 
so it could start to address and um, kind of rebuild itself in the areas where trauma has affected it. If if you if you are unaware of this, if families are unaware, if educators are unaware, then people are immersed in this world, not understanding each other's behaviors, taking things personally, feeling all types of ways about it, and it literally just brings everything down. People walk away with the wrong conclusions and assumptions, not understanding that it goes back to basic science and and thought work. So I think um, we have to see what's actually taking place on a physiological uh, physiological level, and then um, set up our programs and our um, supplemental supportive work that speak directly to this, that arm our, our children, our, our equip, excuse me, not arm, <laughs> equip our children and families <laughs> with tools that they can actually use, tools and, and, and um, things that they can actually use to put into practice. It's not a quick fix, fix type of thing. This isn't going to go without trial and struggle, but we want to bring these things and repeat these things to create new habits and to begin to restructure our actual physical makeup of our brain through this constant practice. And I think that's what we've seen. And we, part of our, our mindset is we stay open to new ideas. Um, that's the part of the firm concept. Um, but also we want to create social entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurship, really stripping down what that is and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur myself, not only the book, I have an app, New Red, and this, these things, I live this. So when I'm in front of the children and I talk about the work I do as a teacher, and then I talk about my entrepreneurial endeavors, and then I talk about how I deal with struggle and pain, and um, everybody has their own stories and hardships. And then we, we share healthy ways to kind of start working through these things and, and grow yourself and empower yourself and develop agency. Because only you is going to save you. Okay. And only us, and only us is going to actually help us. This is what I feel. The community has got to get uh, empowered so they come back and, and resurrect themselves. It's not going to come from someplace outside. Okay, great. Now, uh, the reason I asked that question was because uh, it's my feeling, it's my belief, and it's been away for a long time that a lot of what we see is a microcosm of what we see in society. And society has failed to eliminate a lot of these social problems that we, that we have in the community and that overflows Mm -hmm. into the schools and affects the children. So uh, the reason I ask that is because to me, just like you said, when I asked the question, who's responsible for fixing this, I believe you said anybody who cares, and yeah. that basically is, 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 should be society. But unfortunately, we have a society where uh, the uh, dominant people in society don't really care that much about what's happening to uh, the rest of us. And so that, that, that affects the school. So like you mentioned, we have to individually and through our communities do what we can to fix that. But Ultimately, right. we need we need to be calling on and demanding for society to fix it, instead of having uh, politics getting in the way and having administrations where they want to take away uh, services that, that that people need. 
Now, true, some people abuse that, but the people who really need them shouldn't have to suffer for uh, those who are, are abusing them. So there, we it's have small, some societal of people, right. Right, right, right. We have some societal issues that affect what's happening in the schools, and and those really need to be be addressed. Now, there there's another school yeah. too. Uh, we mentioned at the outset, and once upon a time, uh, long ago, brilliant educator, uh, Miss Marva Collins, saw a need to help mm-hmm. children with learning disabilities who had been neglected by the public schools. And sadly, label these kids uh, as unteachable. So Ms. Collins, using her own money, started her own school, Westside Preparatory School in Chicago, which she ran for years up until just prior to her death. Uh, Her students, teachables, were reading several grades above level and scoring high on achievement tests. Decades after the Hummel started the school, Collins continued to have amazing success. Though her school has always remained small, her students consistently did well. Many have gone on to prestigious universities and entered many professions. The girl who was labeled as retarded in her first year of the school later graduated from college summa cum laude. Ms. Collins died in 2015. Now, Duran do public schools lack the resources to help students with learning disabilities or who have problems keeping up with the rest of the class? Or is it just indifference on the part of some of the teachers and school administrators? And what does the example of uh, Ms. Collins prove? Well, we're so thankful for uh, women like Marva Collins and, and, and human beings that that notice something and, and do the work and have amazing results and her work lives on. So I just want to thank her. Um, I think when we look at what's taking place as far as in public schools, my mother works in public school. And it's funny, okay. you know, our base in Chicago, I used, to live, I used to live on East 40th back in 2008 through 2010. I taught in Gary, Indiana. I used to drive to Gary in the end in the morning. Um, and um, me and my mother, we have conversations about public school and her experiences. And I grew up in public school. I teach uh, in charter, though, all my life, so all my adult life. So I'm thinking we, 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 we come to a lot of understanding um, where charters may give me more uh, leeway and creativity, space to be creative and innovative. I think when it comes to special needs and special education, that public school has a lot of um, programs and support in place and things um, and policies that try to speak to the protection of these rights and to actually um, help children and not just label them in a, in a way that uh, shames them and, and doesn't give them the help they need. I think a lot of public schools, a lot of great educators, public and charter, are trying to really meet the needs of our children. I think what happens is the depth of knowledge, um, the way we implement the execution of this, what's informing our practice, I think, can be improved upon. Because um, I don't want to broad brush public school. There's a lot of different great public schools out there. But you find that it's, it's not only the dedication of the teachers, it's the innovative practice the the integration of 
of uh, this understanding of mindfulness and um, uh, a rigorous type of bar when it comes to ac- core academics. And I think when it back to the the, uh, the special needs, I actually approach my classrooms as if we all have learning disabilities. <laughs> so okay. the, removing the whole stigma that we all learn at our own pace and it's beautiful and that we want to embrace where we need areas of growth and take the time and create a plan and have the, the child kind of own that plan and work through it. And as a, our job as a practitioner is to find out the different ways that child learns and to never let them settle for less. And I think Marvel College is a, a shining example of that. So I, I, I think that there are some components in place for public school that actually are useful and helpful in trying to protect the rights of all children and meet the needs of our children. But I think the implementation, um, sometimes the uh, rigidity, uh, the, it can be not as flexible as it needs to be. Um, the training, remember the greatest resource is the human resource. And if you're not empowering students, you say, okay, I'm going to wait for the special ed teacher to do this or to pull out. If not every teacher is understanding that this is about meeting the needs of all our children and then getting empowered, even on a basic level, then I think that's where the problem is. Great, great. Okay. Now, uh, we have uh, we hadn't talked that much about your own school, Ember Charter School for mm-hmm. Mindful Education, Innovation, and Transportation, uh, Transformation. Uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit at the uh, beginning. Now, uh, your school is also a current example uh, of what can be achieved when the students are the priority. So please give us an overview of how Ember Charter School offers students a positive experience that incites them to learn, which is different from some of the typical schools. I looked at your website, and, and you, you – uh, you do some some very very innovative things. So, can you share that with us? Well, I want to first give shout out to our, our seventh and eighth graders who are embarking on a study abroad journey, um, first of our kind, to South Africa for six to eight weeks uh, with oh, some of our staff members. It's it's an amazing opportunity, and um, so I want to say that at our, at our school. Um, we have things that, like all schools, that we are working to improve on. We're really about the client experience and providing that holistic education. But what it requires is that I think that we what makes us unique and stand out is that we're all in the process of um, human development and uh, working through this idea of love and kindness and all that we do, that that shines for So when you come to our program, we call our classrooms or our homerooms schoolhouses, reminiscent of earlier um, education where it was a one-room schoolhouse. Okay. And it kind of speaks to where that one-room schoolhouse, you had children of all shapes and sizes and learn, learning abilities, and that teacher would, would meet those needs, uh, almost like a family feel. We pull names that speak to the African diaspora, our history, so you might have a, a schoolhouse name. Uh, Lakesh, or mine is called Offset, uh, stemming from ancient comedic history. Um, we embrace the queens, the kings, and, and we, we embed that into um, the culture. And um, we speak 
uh, we, well, through our curriculum, we lead through inquiry. So at our school, we try to do more questioning and telling, and questions that are not closed-ended but open-ended. And we engage with each other and staff members the same way. Now, um, this has its challenges because we have our own conditioning. <laughs> Even our conditioning has been conditioned, as um, Black Star album uh, said one time. But um, I think you'll find in our program that we have we have two teachers in every room. We're a teacher-led firm. Uh, I, my position and role is partner, but I'm, we are all teachers first. Um, we we're flexible in the sense that we have small group rotations. Uh, we speak to the whole group when needed, um, and we're constantly pushing the critical thinking skills of the children. So we don't really speak specifically to trying to master content because what's primary is the thinking skills, the critical thinking skills, those things that innovators and entrepreneurs and creatives and uh, change makers utilize on a daily. So we try to emphasize that the most. And last but not least, um, we em- emphasize at our program social emotional development. So okay. again, you cannot you cannot teach a child um, purely in the sense of traditional academics without speaking to the self um, and really understanding their own physiology, how the brain works. Um, how habits are formed, how to break habits. Um, it is This is what you'll find in our school. And its execution varies based on the level of experience of our practitioners, and that's part of our work is to um, make sure we're executing at a high level and um, that we keep growing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the basis. We also are the ember flames. So um, we, go, we like to say we ignite. Uh, but we're we're filled with that fire of of change and liberation. Okay. So, okay. Very good. All right. Uh, we are running. Actually, we've run out of time, but we got started yes, a little late. But uh, there's one other thing I really wanted to get in before we end tonight's program. I wanted to share uh, with you and get your thoughts on this. Is uh, sort of a, a manifesto. It's entitled "What Needs to Happen." And this was prepared by a parents group in the state of Minnesota called Parents United. Unfortunately, they uh, no longer exist. Uh, but this is, a, uh, I, I feel like, a phenomenal piece of work that they did. Uh, and even though it was from Minnesota, it's applicable to any state or school district. And they said uh, their recommendations were to get the state, in this case Minnesota, but whatever the state would be, get the state leaders to move beyond political gamesmanship to deliver wise and informed leadership and to engage the public productively and authentically in the urgent need of providing the best public schools for our children, use data, research, meaningful evaluation to improve teaching and learning. Uh, Next, they said to implement research-based family engagement models that increase student achievement. Uh, next, they said to promote policies and investments to assist communities in ensuring students come to school physically and mentally ready to learn. 
Uh, next, recruit, prepare, support, and retain great teachers and principals. Uh, next, provide rigorous academics that prepare every student access to post-secondary opportunities. Uh, next, design school systems that are student-centered, utilizing a variety of models, schedules, and calendars. Uh, next, design schools where all cultures are included and connections are made across local and global culture divides. And next, fund schools sufficiently and predictably to produce world-class performance. So to run, uh, is this a thorough, comprehensive blueprint? I know it doesn't cover everything. It looks like to me it covers most of the, the major things. So is this a good blueprint for making our schools the best for all of our children? I think there are a lot of um, uh, key uh, points that, that that brought up. There's a lot of alignment in what we actually practice at, at, at our school. Okay. Um, I feel that when it comes to um, the, 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 um, the development of our schools and their capacity, that our focus, um, again, is on that, on that human resource. And a lot of what that uh, outline spoke to, being data-driven, uh, that's very key. And you, you acquire data and analyze that data. Um, if it becomes a culture of the school, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It informs everything you do. And I think a lot of the points that were mentioned in that, um, in that document, um, I think, are, are, that are accurate. And um, if practiced, they're a good place to start, foundational. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. The only things I would add is this idea of um, building mindfulness, really looking at our metacognitive processes, um, analyzing our own thinking and our own emotional states and building our emotional intelligence and is when we are empowered with this work that you you bring people out in the community who do not just quickly react to situations in a way that uh, promotes that breeds violence and disconnection. We don't use terms good and bad and things like that. We use disconnecting or connecting. We try to okay. break it down to to these principles um, because we can all show up differently and we can associate with that good and bad. Um, but what's really embedded in it is what you're, is what you're doing and uh, the way you're behaving. Is it connecting you? Is it bringing you closer to someone or pulling you apart? And so uh, we have to retrain the mind. And, and on top of what that, uh, what you mentioned, um, we have to do the work of actually re retraining the mind to, to react and respond to situations in a more healthy way, in a more peaceful way. And that's where the work is, not just teaching about the history of the country or double-digit multiplication or ratios. Um, that's great as well. But okay. it's, it's just as important to speak to these components if you want to develop a human being that's going to create a better world. 
Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, Deron, thank you so much for joining us this evening and sharing with us how Ember's Charter School for Mindful Education, Innovation, and Transformation is helping students and helping us examine how to make all of our public schools the best they can be for all of our children. Thank you also for the work that you're doing. Now, can you thank tell you. our listeners, uh, uh, you, you're very welcome. Can you tell our listeners where they can get your book and how to contact you if they're interested in having you speak to uh, their group, their organization? Oh, no problem. Well, again, we, um, on behalf of Ember Charter School, we, we thank you for this opportunity. Um, we just want to help, help affect the public discourse. And if people take ideas and implement it, you know, that's great. But um, as far as me as a, a teacher um, in my other work, uh, Look in the Mirror is something I authored about 15 years ago, and I used it um, primarily for preteens and, and up, and it speaks to different thinking and uh, situations that occur in our community. Um, there's it's um, it's very relatable and it pushes the thinking. So that can be found um, at uh, lulu.com. Uh, you can do a search for "Look in the Mirror" by Duran Townsell. You can reach me at Duran at embercs.org. Um, also, you can reach me at my Gmail Duran.Townsell at gmail.com. Um, and on top of that, so I wrote the book and I use that when I can. Um, and children, they'll, they'll grab it off my shelf and kind of read parts of it and ask questions. But right now I have uh, developed this app called Nubia Renaissance Network. It's from my other entrepreneurial endeavor. It's a uh, new rent on the app store. It's free. It's, it promotes black businesses, um, brands, um, and just really like a digital black Wall Street. And so I took the ideas that were in the book, Look in the Mirror. There's a chapter called Little Africa. And I... I kind of suggested we need a new renaissance, a, a Nubian renaissance. And the Nubian means people of gold, that ancient great civilization. So I wanted to kind of, in the spirit of that, learn the story of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, kind of offer right. that platform right. that I think, you know, that will kind of feed right into that. So that's, that's, that's where my work is kind of, everything is kind of all connecting. And that's where I'm at. And uh, by day, uh, me, along with other um, very inspired and dedicated individuals, we, we run a school and we try to grow human beings. Okay. Now, what was the uh, the name of the app? Um, on the App Store and Google Play, it's a new Ren, N-U-R-E-N-N. N-U-R-E-N, yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Great. Yeah. Well, we'll check that. Again, we'll thank definitely. you so much. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. Just one more thing. I'm I'm, I'm curious. Uh, do you have uh, uh, Ember schools in other areas, or if someone wanted to contact you to get information about how you establish the Ember school and maybe interested in uh, establishing a similar type school in their area? Uh, do they contact you at the same email address, or do they contact you through the firm? Or... Yeah, they can they can contact our um, our uh, my email address. They can call the school directly if they go to our website embercs.org. 
Um, we uh, we have an open door policy. As long as you you know sign in with security and things, you can come by. We we're part of uh, a collaboration of public and charter uh, schools called the District Charter Collaborative, and we really have been building some great relationships and sharing best practices with neighborhood schools. Um, we also went to a, a conference in Texas, National Charter Convention, and, and led some talk on uh, racial equity, cultural responsive education, and and um, so we. We don't want to rush to grow for the sake of just kind of expanding and um, and some schools tackle that endeavor, but we rather grow slow, really get what we really try to uh, improve upon what we already have and get that right before we kind of try to expand rapidly. Um, and so as we as we go through this uh, design thinking process almost, and improve our own um, offering and enterprise. We invite people to come in and share, collaborate, and we'll go out. We have no problem uh, speaking to these key components that we believe in and we've seen uh, actually get results. Um, because we can't, we know that we're limited. We can't physically just be everywhere. We do have plans to expand. Um, but what matters more is that we're out there affecting the public discourse. We're actually. Um, uh, providing workshops and things where people can take that learning and those ideas and set up their own version, as you alluded to, and okay. that's where the work is, you know. Okay. All right. So Very what, good. That's our desire. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thank you again so much. We re- really appreciate it, and uh, congratulations on the phenomenal job that you're doing there with uh, Ember's Charter School. <laughs> and we yeah. hope that um, maybe we'll. Uh, be able to talk to you some more after you get back from South Africa and learn how that, that all worked out. So yeah, uh, when the children get back, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, you, you have a good evening. You too. Thank now, you. You're welcome. Now next week on uh, our program, we're going to be discussing developing and supporting high achieving students. And our guest will be Mr. Darren Morgan. Uh, Mr. Morgan is the executive director of Arkansas Commitment, which is a nonprofit organization created to identify academically talented African-American high school students and guide them to become leaders of society at large, as well as within the African-American community. So be sure to join us again uh, next Monday at 6.30 p.m. Central Time for that. Until then, have a great week. listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong.